Good morning. Good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast on the Class. Breakfast on the Class today uh, has been sponsored and dedicated in loving memory of Rosa Wakneen Alea Shalom Lilushmad Rosa Bat Mesuda, sponsored by her brother Gabriel Amos, Azaku Baruch. And as well, uh, dedicated in loving memory Lilushmad Malka Bat Yitzchak Alea Shalom, sponsored by Shiba Barzilai. Uh, it's also uh, sponsored and dedicated, wishing Am Israel a meaningful and successful tefillah on Rosh Hashanah, and a happy and sweet year with abundance of blessings and loving memory of Mrs. Lily Safra. Sponsored by Avram Simmons and sponsored by Lily and Abi Nissim. Dedicated loving memory of their uncle Pinchas Nissim. As well, uh, dedicated loving memory um, of Leah, of Mrs. Lily Safra, the philanthropy has reached so many throughout the world. And Bishchut, a complete and speedy for for Daphna Adina Bat Cyril Bela Laya, sponsored by Shira Stern. And the Week of Cobra was sponsored by David Yash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. My friends, our rabbis find um, a connection and a message in the parasha that we, of the week uh, as it co as it co-aligns, as it coalesces, specifically with the time of year in the calendar. So each time we find uh, a time of year, Purim, uh, Hanukkah, Pesach, those parashiot those that we're reading in the Torah, at that time, they speak and inform and help us understand and connect with the day, the holidays that we're going through at that time. So it's almost as if there's a message in the, in the Torah communicating how to be during those days. So I want to share with you one example of this from Rav Zilbashnin. It's a beautiful concept. He says as follows. Our, our parasha begins with the words, Atem nitzavim hayom. Today you are standing, Kulchem lefnei Hashem elokechem. All of you in front of Hashem your God. This idea is meant to prepare a person for the time of standing in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that there is a day like we say, Hayom Arat Olam, Hayom Ya'amid Bamishpat. Call Yitzure, all of the creations of the world. Today is the day of the creation of the world. Today is the day of the judgment of the world. Every creation stands in front of God to be judged. And that's what the Pasuk is telling you. Today you are all standing. Kulchem Hashem Elokechem. So it's interesting. Baruch, please do not say Amen if you're listening to this. Uh, on the recording. Baruch Atah Adonai, Lene Melech HaOlam Shah, Kol Nyeh Baro. Atem Nitzavim Ayom, Rashi says, Atem Kiruyim Adam, you are called Adam, man, ve'en ovdei kochavim kiruyim Adam. And the nations of the world are not called Adam, they're not called man. We've discussed many times this idea that this is not meant to denigrate a person who's not Jewish. Only Jews are human beings. That's what it means to say. Hasve shalom. We have many proofs from Chazal, from our rabbis, that Am Yisrael never has this uh, approach or outlook that a non-Jewish person is not a human being. So what does this mean? Atem kiruim adam, ve'en mazalot kiruim adam, they're not called a man. And our rabbis explain something very beautiful. That adam does not mean human. There's many other words that you could use to describe humanity. Adam refers to something very specific. In fact, we find the word enosh, 
to refer to humanity. But the word Adam refers to a Jew, says the Aleshur, why? Because Adam is not like the word Enosh or Ish or Isha. The plural of Ish is Anashim. The plural of Isha is Nashim. There's a plural of that word. The plural of the word Adam is not Adamim. There is no plural to the word Adam. Indicating that humanity at its core, in the way it's supposed to live, is meant to be such a fellowship of man. It's meant to be so interconnected that there isn't a plural way of relating to it. When Adam Arishon ate from the tree uh, in Gan Eden, at that moment there was a fragmenting of a pure, of a united, of a whole soul. And that fragmentation, the children that he had were, so to speak, the outcroppings of this Adam. And in the time of Mashiach, all of that humanity is then going to be put back together. That's the idea of the time of Mashiach. And therefore, it is now UN week. So we're supposed to understand, aside from the traffic, what really the concept was supposed to be. Where nations were coming back together. Not where nations with an agenda had an opportunity to speak badly about Israel. That's what UN is now. But what it's supposed to be was a fellowship of men coming together to eradicate war. Do you understand that? It was created in the aftermath of world wars to say never again will this happen. But now we have an experience where nations that are warmongers are, are part of the UN. And then they're given positions on the Security Council. And, and on the, you know, it's wild to experience the hypocrisy of what's going on in, 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 that, in the halls of, of the United Nations. Therefore, says the Torah, Adam, Atem Kiruim Adam. You, Am Israel, are called Adam. Because Am Israel has only ever wanted peace. Our, our armies are designated. Tzahal, Tzva Haganal Israel, they are defensive in nature. Tzva Haganal Israel means the Israeli defense force. On the label, on the name, it says what it's there to do. We're not trying to take anything. We're not trying to conquer. Even if we're more powerful, we don't invade random countries next to us like Putin has done. Do you understand? This concept is Atem Kiruim Adam. What in the world does this have to do with Elul? What's the concept over here? My friends, and this is the most powerful thing to understand about the Torah. Our rabbis tell us that Am Yisrael was a nation that had, that's, has chutzpah. Yisrael, the Jews, azefanim, they have chutzpah. They have a brazenness about them. And yet, the same Chazal that tell us that it is in the Jewish nature to have chutzpah, to be brazen, okay, it's the same Jew that the Torah says, Chazal teach us, that are called Baishanim, that are embarrassed. So what are we? Are we bold-faced? Are we Azepanim? Or are we Baishanim? Which one? So much so that the Gemara says if a Jew does not have Busha, if he does not get embarrassed, you should check into his lineage. It means that somewhere along the line, it's not Jewish. How could it be? Which one are we? And the Sfarim write something incredible. They say that the Jews were Azefanim. 
They were azefanim. They had a bold-faced chutzpah. And it was to combat that azefanim that Borei Olam gave the Jewish people the Torah. And the Torah creates within a person busha. What does that mean? The Torah creates busha? The answer, my friends, is, and listen to this because this is so powerful. When a person understands what a human being is supposed to look like, when you understand what it means that you have obligations, that you have responsibilities, that there's an elevated status of what you're supposed to become, suddenly you realize the space between you and the version of you that is possible and expected by God. Once you understand what you're supposed to do, suddenly there's a little bit of humility. You know, you have a kid, walks into class in school, he thinks to himself, I'm really good at math. All of a sudden the teacher puts the, the, the lesson plan in front of him. The kid looks at it, he sees you don't know half of it. There's nothing that humbles a person more than an exam where you don't know anything, okay? Suddenly you realize you're a mess. You think you have, your finances are in order. You know, someone comes along, they're like, look, I would like to speak about financial planning. I want to speak about, the, you know, all this guy. And you're like, no, no, I'm good, I got this. And all of a sudden the guy starts speaking, you realize you know nothing. Now you start listening. All of a sudden, the chutzpah that you had, it goes away. And you think, you know what, I, I better listen. I might learn something. Yeah, are you with me? Yes? You have sometimes a person sits there in the class, he's like this, I see the guy like, I know everything, what's this rabbi going to teach me? Five minutes later, the guy's like this. Right? <laughs> Why? Because he came in with the ga'ava, with the arrogance. He's not going to learn anything. All of a sudden he learned something. He learned something else. He said, oh my gosh, maybe I have a lot to learn. So the Torah made us into people that are baishanim, that are embarrassed. It is for this reason that our rabbis teach us that if a person <clears throat> is learning Torah, not for the sake of heaven, let's say a person is studying Torah, shelo lishma, not because it's the right thing to do, not because it's what Hashem told him to do, but he's doing it for the wrong reason. The Gemara says, even if he's doing it for the wrong reason, still, mitoch shelo lishma, ba lishma. If he's learning shelo lishma, still it's good, because from not doing it for the right reason, eventually you'll come to do it for the right reason. The question is, Tosafot asks, but we find in other places, right, that if a person learns for an agenda, like lehit yaher, to, be, to become arrogant, if he learns in order lekanter, in order to fight with other people, right, then his Torah, we'd rather not learn it. What's, how could it be? You just told me, shelo lishma, ba lishma. Tosafot differentiates he says it's true if you learned it for the wrong reason, no good. But if you learned it in order to elevate yourself over everybody else, if you learned it in order to become arrogant over everybody else, if you learned it in order to fight with everybody else and to prove them wrong, some people love to do that. They love to tell people how they got this wrong, they read it wrong, they went the wrong way, they did the wrong thing, shouldn't behave this way. They, they live from that stuff. When a person is doing, is learning Torah for that reason, it's not just that you have the Torah, but you don't have the L'shem Shamaim. What you have is something which is poisoning the Torah and the mitzvot that you're doing. Because if you're doing it to elevate yourself over somebody, then the point of the Torah to drive you to a place of humility disappears. Now let's look at the words of Rav Zilvishtin, because it's very, very beautiful. Atem Nitzavim Ayom Rashi explains on these words, Atem 
Atem kiruim adam, you are called man. He says on these words of the Gemara Yevamot on page 61, something incredible. Atem kiruim adam, you are called man. Look at the words atem and look at the word adam. In order to be adam, what do you do? What do you look for? You look for atem. Who was called Adam? Three people. Three people who embodied humility. Who are the three people? Abraham, David, and Moshe. Abraham, David, Moshe, Roshe, Tevot, Adam. The people who were the most humble were the people who were the most human. How do we know that they were the paragons of humility? Because they said, each of them said a statement of tremendous humility. Uh, Abraham says, Anochi afar va'efer, I'm dust and ash. Uh, David Amelech says, Anochi tolad ish, I'm a worm. Moshe says, Va'anachnu ma, I'm nothing. What are we? We're nothing. Look at those words. Afar, okay? Efer, excuse me, Efer, tolaat, Ma, Roshet Tevot, Atem, Atem Kiruim Adam, Afar Tolaat Ma, Avraham David Moshe. So in these people that exemplified, they exemplified humility, what were they capable of doing? Avraham was the most generous of people. He was generous to other people. He was someone who looked out for other people. Why? Because his humility made him feel like he was no better than anyone that came his way. David Amelech also, he understood that, you know what, I don't really deserve this position. That's why he was able, when he made a mistake and he did a sin, he was able to say, Khatati, I sinned. He was able to own his mistake because he had that humility. Moshe Rabenu says, I'm nothing. Therefore, he's able to do the ultimate act of selflessness by saying to God, if you need to wipe out the Jewish people, take me instead. My friends, being a human being, having sensitivity for someone else, because that's what defines a human as different than an animal. An animal is only capable of operating on its self-preservation programming. A human being can do things which are not its programming, which are not for its benefit, which are not for its survival. And the way that you do that is feel or understand that you're not more important than anybody else. And that your survival and that your preservation doesn't supersede the survival and the preservation of anybody else. Atem kiruim adam. If atem nitzavim ayom, if you're standing today in this way, with this humility, in front of God, kuchem lefnei Hashem you're standing in front of Borei Olam and you will pass the judgment Be'ezat Hashem as you move before Him uh, with ease. In fact, the word, uh, um, the, the uh, month is called the month of Elul, this month where we prepare, where we refine, where we present ourselves, we gather all of our very, the very best of us and we present it to God and say, this is the me that could be. My friends, where do we get, where do we see this word Elul? And the rabbis have different interpretations. One place we see Elul, hinted in the Pasuk, everybody knows, Ani le Dodi, 
Vedodi li, I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is close. I am to him, I love him, he loves me. But the Sefarim tell us that there are other places as well where we find this concept of the Rashi Tevot, the first letter is the word Elul. Where else do we find it? Anyone know? Mishloach manot ish lere'ehu umatanot le'evyonim. Ish lere'ehu umatanot le'evyonim is Elul. So one place we read about Elul with regards to my relationship with God. One place we, re- we read about the relationship between Mishloach manot ish lere'ehu umatanot le'evyonim. The way I am between me and other people. Because the judgment of Rosh Hashanah is between man and God and the mitzvot between you and him, but also on the mitzvot between you and another. My friends, these two elements, both of them require a sense of humility, a sense of responsibility towards someone else. So how is it possible to change the way that we are before we come to the holidays? How is it possible to lift up all of these behaviors, all these things which are literally lying on on top of us. I want to share something with you because I think that this is incredibly important to understand. Something called muscle memory. What's muscle memory? Anyone know? Muscle memory is you do something enough times, your muscles already know that movement. And they do it sometimes even involuntarily. They do it even sometimes subconsciously. It's why fighters sit there and go through all the motions. Ah, 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 ah. You know why? Because then someone throws a punch, someone tries to stab you, and before you can even think what happens, your muscle memory kicks in, your hand comes up. Before you even had a chance to think about your reaction, the training that you've put into your muscles, into your sinews, into your veins, into your uh, you know, tendons, it kicks in and you go through the motions that you've learned so many times before. The same thing that's happening with your fists and your legs is also happening, my friends, in your brain. Uh, neuropsychology and neuroscientists teach us that there are something called, there is something called neural pathways. So as an example, if you think a thought again and again and again and again and again, eventually what happens, when a question comes to the brain, the thought that you've thought so many times, imagine like you're riding a bicycle in exactly the same place on a dirt path every day. After 5, 10, 20, 100 times, there's going to be a rut in the path. At that point, it's very difficult, once you're in that rut, to turn the wheel because it's deeper and deeper and deeper and the wheel is now more embedded in this rut. It can't turn to the right or to the left. That's why when a person tells themselves, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, eventually, it's impossible. You can't, your brain cannot think the thought, I can. Something monumental needs to happen to take you out of this rut that your wheel is in. And you can't, you eventually can't turn the wheel anymore. That's what uh, Rav Noach used to say, he used to quote someone who said something, the guy himself is a, uh, not the, the greatest person, so we're not going to even mention his name, Shem um, Kav. But he used to say, whether you say, or whether you think you can, or you can't, you're right. 
So if a person is in that mindset, in their mind, if a person has done the same avera a hundred times, how, how do they get the wheel out of the rut if they can't turn the wheel anymore? How is teshuvah possible? If every time I think of a person, I think negatively. You know what's going to happen? Someone even mentions the name. I think negatively. If the guy does an act of kindness, what do I think to myself? I'm sure he has an agenda. This guy's a lowlife. Your brain, how do you get out of that rut? And the answer, my friends, is you don't. You can't turn that wheel. Teshuvah, technically, after reinforcing a pattern of behavior again and again and again, is impossible. Except for one thing. Rav Pinkus used to say that if you ever go to a building site, you'll see that they lift these giant blocks of concrete, reinforced concrete. And when it's lifted by the crane, you see at the top of the building, you have these construction workers, and with their hands, they move this beam exactly to the right place. A beam that weighs 50,000 pounds, whatever it is, is being moved by a couple of people just with their hands. How's that possible? And the answer is, it's not. It's just that when you have a crane, the crane is doing all the heavy lifting. All that's required from you is to take your finger and move the item and it's almost effortless because it has no weight. My friends, Seek out God when He is there, when He is found. You know what that means? It means that when you're in the rut, you can't search for Him. But when he, is there, when he is there with you, when He's lifting the weight of your actions, of your thoughts, when He's taking that weight off of your shoulders, the possibility of Teshuvah is so close and so easy and so possible that with a little bit of effort, you can move and you can change something. Once a person came to me and they said, Rabbi, you know, I'm involved in this fight. I don't know how I'm ever going to solve it. And I said, you're absolutely right. I completely agree with you. You're never going to solve your fight. They're like, Rabbi, I didn't come to you for that. I came because I want you to tell me, no, you can fix it. I said, you can't fix it. How many years of, uh, you know, acrimonious behavior? How many years of yet blaming, of telling, of how long, Right? So the person said, so what, there's no hope? I said, no, there is hope. There is hope. I said, but not today. Come back to me. Come back to me in a week. The guy said, why? I said, in a week it's going to be Elul. And in Elul, the weight is lifted. And in Seret Yimei Teshuvah, the weight is lifted even lighter. It allows for a person with such ease to be able to make those corrections. But what is the price of making those corrections? The tiniest dose of humble pie. The only thing that's missing, therefore, is a person being willing to recognize that their wheel needs to be adjusted ever so slightly. And it is the people who lack humility, who lack the atem, who lack the atem kiruim adam, that have that opportunity and they never even reach out and move the wheel because they don't think they need to.
That, my friends, is the great tragedy of a wasted Elul and Aseret Yimei Teshuvah. May Hashem bless us, Be'ezrat Hashem, to be able to access that part of ourselves which knows when we've done uh, wrong, which knows when we can be better. And to feel the weightlessness of Elul and Aseret Yimei Teshuvah in a way that when the opportunity comes and God's doing all the heavy lifting, you can move it. You ever see a guy who's spotting somebody else? Guy's lifting the, you know, the big bum belts, and behind him standing a guy, and he's spotting him. And how's he spotting him with the bar? He's got a finger like this under the... He's like, oh, give me, give me one more, give me one more. Nobody can lift that bar with one finger. But when the guy on bottom is doing all the lifting, all you're doing is taking your finger and pulling the bar and putting it back on the holder at the top. It's very easy to push those buttons. May God bless us, Be'ezat Hashem, to capitalize on this incredible opportunity. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.